A warm welcome back to the Crux of It, the York City podcast. Um, the Crux of It, a spin-off of York Hospital Ball, which in itself is a spin-off of York Hospital Radio, uh, which isn't a spin-off of anything, I don't think. We have a smaller panel than normal um, this evening, um, and we're reviewing York City's season at exactly the halfway point. So it's a good, quite a good point to um, catch up with where we're at and get the opinions, which we will be getting, of Dan Tate um, and Ben Robinson, two of our regulars um, who are back and uh, will be giving their opinions. Um, I guess so we're at the halfway point of the season, um, just to briefly sort the season. 20th in the league, five wins, nine draws, nine defeats. Changed manager partway through, out went Mikey Morton, in has come Neil Ardley, hoping for better fortunes. 31 goals scored, 41 conceded. Um, The halfway point, which is 23 games, of which we've managed 24 points. That's one off relegation and 12 points off the playoffs. Just four teams below us which are ironically the four that came up. Um, let's start on a positive, um, because I know that we... <laughs> I know that we kind of... On one of the previous podcasts, we got partway through and we thought, oh, we haven't, we haven't been positive enough. So let's start with the positives, and I'm going to come to you both. Um, we're halfway through the season. Um, Dan, I'll come to you first. We're talking high points. What's been the high point of the season so far? Thanks, Paul. Um, I think the high point for me has been the appointment of Neil Ardley, to be honest. I think that even though, like you mentioned there, we're probably probably having a poorer season than we've, well, certainly we all predicted at the start of it um, for, for whatever reason. And I think things are taking time to gel and stuff like that. But I do, I do have a lot of confidence in Neil Ardley. I do like a manager who has seen the same game that I have. And I think even when... We've had games where we've been poor. I, f- I feel like after I've heard him speak, I feel more optimistic about the future. Whereas sometimes you can, you know, under David Webb, um, you would you would kind of have a have a poor result, and you'd listen to his interview, and you'd feel worse. You'd think, God, you know, how how the hell are we going to get out of this situation? Whereas I feel Neil Ardy speaks a lot of sense. I have a lot of trust in him. I think that it's definitely a, a work in progress at the minute. I definitely think there's a longer term picture with it. And I'm quite happy to be patient with that because of him. I think that he's tactically pretty good. I think even at the weekend, I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't really offer much in attack, I would say, at Rochdale. It was a good day out. It was good to spend time with friends and stuff like that. But I think as a as an attacking force, we weren't really one. But then listening to his interview afterwards, him saying, well, I went gung-ho at Nantwich and we were 3-0 down at half-time. I needed to make sure we were we were hard to beat. And then you sort of think, actual fact, yeah, that's a fair point. And actually a point away from home at this stage of the season is good. So, yeah, I, I think the high point for me has been his appointment. I think he's a shrewd appointment. I think it was the right appointment to make after Mikey Morton. And, yeah, I'm really happy with him. How about you, Ben? High point of the season? Uh I'd probably say the month of November, really, just where it, it feels like it started to click. You know, we had a fantastic performance away at Fylde, really one of the most complete performances I've seen from York City, really, in the last few years. Came in November, you know, it really played well at Fylde, uh, a relegation rival. You know, beat Chester, which, you know, it's no easy feat, really. You know, they got the 
underdog kind of stature coming in. And, you know, we, we did well. Um, and then we played Hartlepool, where things went a little bit wrong. However, um, we pulled it round against Oxford City, where they'd never even threatened us. It's one of the few performances I've ever looked at with York and gone. We had the complete package there in terms of not letting the opposition get a sniff whatsoever. And then Maidenhead, you know, to get that late equaliser after, you know, a lot of pressure and, you know, the red card, um, I would say November has been the highlight, you know, and as Dan says, Neil Ardley's appointment, it feels like it's starting to click in place. It's going to be a long process for it to fully get there, but it feels like it is clicking in place now and it's now getting to the point where you sort of start to think, right, if we can just make one or two signings, we might start to get clear of relegation quite comfortably rather than this current situation of, or oh, if we just get a win, we might get a few points ahead and that'll keep us safe or away for like another week or two and we can hopefully just start to build ourselves away quite a bit. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Like with the five games we've won, South End at home, Woking away and Dagenham away, a bit of smash and grabs, filed away, like you mentioned, um, which I thought was a big turning point as well, and then Oxford City at home. I think, yeah, I think maybe for, for me, thinking high points of, of the season, <laughs> maybe Latty Fairweather against South End and the win against South End, because at the time when they they came to the LNER, they were like, despite their league position and points deduction, they were one of the best, we thought they were going to be one of the best teams. So in terms of the home games, um, that completely stands out. But yeah, you know, Fylde was just the, to me, it just felt like that perfect, that perfect way, way you kind of think, okay, we know, we actually know what we're about now. We know what, uh, we know like, what this team is about and what the players are meant to be doing, which took which took so long. Um, Dan, you mentioned like Ardley there. That what do you think is the main difference between <laughs> essentially between Ardley and Morton? I think just just experience, really. I, I I'm not in the camp that I know in in the summer that we had a bit of a debate about whether Mikey Morton should have just been let go, but but I do feel that. He did a good job under difficult circumstances. Let's not rewrite history. You know, we were going to get relegated under Webb. So, in my opinion, I think Mikey came in. He he took a a difficult situation and kind of turned it round. He had a few signings that he was allowed to make, like Danny Rowe, who just wasn't fit. So it was a difficult job for him to take on. We got a fantastic win at Chesterfield and stuff like that. So I think it was right to give him the opportunity to try and stamp his own authority on it. I just think he wasn't the right fit. And we but Neil Hardley, I think I think he's just he's experienced and he's managed at the level before when Notts County and Solihull. He's managed Wimbledon in the football league. He's played at a very high level. I I just think he he's the right fit for us at this moment in time. And I think he he's slowly but surely creating an identity. I think the problem he had early on was that we were playing too many games. We we're playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. He didn't get much time with him on the training ground to get his ideas across. And I think now we've had a little bit of a break and I actually think he's probably quite happy with the FA Trophy defeat in some ways because he gets more time with the players rather than having a bit of a fixture backlog. And I think he can slowly but surely put more of his stamp on this team 
get a couple of extra players in, like Ben says, with quality, and then hopefully we can end the season a little bit like we did with Gary Mills in 2011 when it was you could see things were, were shaping up to be good for the season after. Yeah, before I move on from um, from the high points, I guess on the on the agenda of the high points, Ben, I guess we should also mention. Certainly for me, it feels like the owners of the club, the Ugas, for the first time that I can remember, we actually have owners that we, for the moment, feel fully comfortable in for the longer term. They've still got a lot to prove. And I think they've proved a lot so far. Um, and they've put their money where their mouth is, quite literally. And I do back them, but they need to prove that they're still willing to learn, which I think he has so far. Um, just making sure that he continues not to almost dig his heels in too much and be willing to uh, understand where he went wrong and make sure those mistakes aren't made in the future. I think just to cut in there as well, or to add to it, is that I think off the pitch for the first time for a long time, I'm quite happy with with things. And it's things that don't really involve me or or kind of really interest me, like stuff like that last week having the player signings and and your kids being able to go, you know, my daughter's not really interested in York City, which is fair enough. It's up to her. But but some people will have kids that are interested in it. And it, and it's about time they did stuff like that, like the old Junior Reds stuff. You know, I remember as a kid, it was a real community feel. And I think the Uglers have really tried to bring that back slowly but surely. And I think they are putting these opportunities on there. I've been to one of the stadium tours as well. And, you know, the things like that, I, I just think, these are little things that you get them right off the pitch. Then hopefully when you do get things right on the pitch, it all kind of marries together, doesn't it? And so I, I, I'm quite happy with with their kind of output on that side of things as well. And the role is even things like doing the fans forum. I don't think there was a fans, there's not been a fans forum for a long time. You know, stuff like that. It's easy for, for chairman and owners to sort of say, actually, I'm not going to bother with that because I'll just get some stupid questions asked and I can't be asked with it. Whereas I think, the Uglers want to hear from the supporter base. They want to kind of improve the club on and off the pitch, which I think is great. So we move on to low of the season, um, low point of the season. Um, I guess I should preface this by saying we've lost nine times. Wealdstone, Kiddy, Rochdale, Ebbsfleet, Oldham, Barnet, Eastleigh, Chesterfield. And Hartley Paul, um, and we've beaten none of the top fifteen teams this season. That stat actually surprised me. Um, and of course, we're one point off the relegation zone. I'll go to you first, Ben. Low, lowest point or points of the season? Uh, I think for me, it's one of two. I'd say probably Chesterfield was a very low point. Uh, I'm looking at the sort of post-mortem Ardley era here because I think we've dissected Morton's bit to death now. So I'd say Hartlepool, uh, sorry, Chesterfield to start off with. I think that's uh, a low point. Um, yes, we expected them to be us, but I think it was the manner in which we lost that night. Um, completely outplayed, lacked any kind of attacking ability and just almost had an utter collapse. And it just really felt like all the hard work Hardly had done so far came unravelling in that one moment um, and yes we did expect them to beat us no doubt about it and yes they absolutely play us off the park and there's a reason why they are so far ahead at the top of the league right now 
but it felt like a massive letdown that night in the way that we conducted ourselves on the pitch. Um, and then I'd also say Hartlepool at home, just a total, utter lack of effort. And I think Ardley alluded to that uh, in his interview afterwards, that just certain players were not trying, and it was an absolute joke for performance, really. Hartlepool for me, all day long. I, I just think to have 6,000 supporters in that stadium, it was abs- you know it had the potential to be an absolute, you know, fantastic atmosphere, get the whole stadium bouncing and, and kind of we were the team that looked like we were coming into a bit of form. Hartlepool were well off form. You know, they, they couldn't string any sort of results together at that time. They were missing really key players. People like David Ferguson, who we all know is an absolute class act. And, you know, they were kind of cobbling together a bit of a side and, and it, it just felt like they were there for the taking. And yet, because they brought 1,500 fans, I think they just completely rose to the occasion, Hartlepool United. And I think our players completely froze. And before we knew it, we were, you know, two down, weren't we, quite early on and, and just always playing catch-up and and just, yeah, it, it was just an awful, awful performance. And I always think things like that are a missed opportunity <clears throat> because you've got so many supporters in. And I think if you can, you know, if that had been the other way around and we'd have won 3-1, that whole stadium would have been, you know, absolutely bouncing. And then the people who are maybe coming as a bit of a, oh, you know, coming as a one-off, then think, you know what, I want want to experience that again and then come along the following week. And I just felt that we just put in such an inept performance and it was just so out of sync with what was happening around that time. So that, that for me, was a, a massive disappointment. Yeah, I have to second that, Dan. It's one of those as well. I, I feel when we have like a really bad game, sometimes it's only when I get home and I reflect and I, th- I start thinking like actually putting it in order of games in our entire history, which have been some of our worst, um, and along with the 3-0 home defeat by Bradford Park Avenue, um, and the, the, there weren't many games where I felt it actually been worse than that Hartlepool result. And it's worrying because it came in the middle of some good ones. But I, don't, I remember, Dan, it's the only game, me and you both had the same experience, it's the only game I think we've ever had where we couldn't, pick a man of the match. Both of us couldn't think of any words to pick a man of the match, um, which I don't think has ever happened before. And Yeah, and I think it's, I suppose it's like twofold for me. One is that we had so many chances in that game to change things or to you know, so we go we go a goal down and think, okay, you know, what's hardly going to do, what we're going to change. Um, we've got plenty of d- different like changes of formation, plenty of different subs coming on, but each time, absolutely nothing came from it. Like there was literally no spells where we thought, um, and it was across the board. It wasn't just like some players; it was like across the board um, that it felt like no one had had turned up. And I think the second thing is just just an echo of what you said, Dan. That it was it was the biggest built up game for some time in terms of attendance, in terms of Hartlepool. You know how many they were bringing, how many we were bringing. I think in hindsight we were quite lucky that we ended up with the Wigan game shortly after, and that managed to obviously attract a lot of fans and be um, better in terms of effort. Um, I am, which gives us a nice segue onto. Um, the FA Cup. 
um, which has been um, compared to recent years, um, has been good in terms of the stage we've progressed to, um, because it's been at least a decade since we reached the second round, but that's what happened this time. So Needham Market <laughs> started a little bit um, dodgy, nil-nil at home, and then we beat them one-nil away. Chester nil-nil away, and then we beat them 2-1 at home. A couple of goals from the shop, Lionel John Lewis. Um, and then, second round, um, big boys, Wigan Athletic from League One. We're flying in League One, to be fair. Um, and we more than held our own in terms of performance. We lost 1-0, but it could have been very different. Um, how do you feel about our FA Cup campaign, Ben, this season? Yeah, I think it's almost provided a nice distraction um, compared to what the FA Trophy can provide sometimes. You know, it was nice to go on a, a little bit of a run. bit annoying how we got so many replays, maybe. You know, those two replays, adding extra game, well, two extra games that we didn't need. But I think the crown of it all, of that Wigan sort of game at home where the BBC cameras came down, it gave that little bit of FA Cup magic that we haven't had for sort of 10 years or so. And it was nice that we kind of... Um, Matched Wigan, um, you know they, they were clearly the better side. Clearly had that bit of extra quality. However, um, we just about well, I won't say matched, but competed with them well. Um, and we were in some regards uh, unlucky to not take them or go back to their place and have an opportunity to try and beat them at the uh, DW Stadium. Yeah, full strength Wigan team as well. Dan, your take on the FA Cup this season? Yes, yeah, so it's just similar to what you guys have said, really. I, I, I felt Wigan were probably... I think they were quite a bit better than we were. I, I felt like they didn't really get out of second gear, to be honest. I, I think we were lucky in the, in the sense that I think on another uh, John Lewis would have taken that chance and would have forced that replay. And I, and I think we were competitive, but I think they were the better side. I didn't go away thinking... I saw a couple of people say that they felt like we were robbed a little bit, which I, I think was not, not the case. Um, having said that, I couldn't see bugger all in the, in the first half. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, you know, I don't know how people feel about whether we would have got the draw we got, seeing Wigan get Manchester United, but it does make you think, oh, what could have been? Um, but yeah, it was nice just to have a bit, little bit of a cut run because for the last few years, we haven't had anything like that, have we? And, and you know, it was nice to kind of like Ben says, have the BBC cameras down there, shine a bit of a light on York City and... Um, and yeah, so it's you know, and it made the club I think a hundred thousand pound when it just from that one tie. So all that sort of stuff's good. It's okay. Hugo's putting the money in, but I think the plan is to be sort of sustainable long term, and that sort of money is going to help, isn't it? And and you know, having the scoreboards and having the the kind of advertising as well. You know, it's good that we've got that commercial kind of now a little bit now as well with with you know the owners in charge. I think that's something we've probably lacked for a few years. So. It's nice to see them trying to capitalise that and bring more money in for, for York City, which can only be a good thing. Yeah, you can't complain. You can't sniff at 100k, can you really? Yeah, in some ways, it was actually like, in some ways, it was my favourite home game of the season. I think, like, the build up to it and the, the fact that, like, say, there's, there's cameras everywhere and it was a proper night game with the fog and the <laughs> freezing conditions. Um, and the atmosphere, and the atmosphere is fantastic. And it's, you know, I, I invited a few people who um, never normally come to York City because I always think the FA Cup's a good place to 
to start um, and to try and do some more support and it's slightly cheaper. Um, and I just thought, you know, atmosphere was amazing. The night game was amazing. And very, very nearly we got something from it at the last minute, which would have just been incredible. But I think, yeah, we can help hold our head high. One of the best form teams of League One putting out the full... And it was quite surprising in a way. I think the victory over Oxford and then that game, a good performance against Wigan, did actually redeem the Hartlepool results um, beforehand and certainly kind of got the the players and the management back on our side, I guess. Um, so, yeah, there was a buzz about the FA Cup this season. Um <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't so much of a buzz about the FA trophy. I'll come to you first on this one, Dan. Um three two defeat in our first game at Nantwich Town from two leagues below one of the lowest teams that we could have met in the round. Weakened team, but even so. Yeah, just massively disappointing. I mean it is one of those competitions that I'm always the same about it every year. Um, I think we've been spoiled as supporters that we've been to Wembley so many times that it's not it's not like you've not been to Wembley and you see that carrot and you think, oh, what a fantastic opportunity it would be to get to Wembley. I'm always one of those in the early rounds. I don't feel like I'm that bothered about the FA Trophy, but then obviously as it gets closer to it, a bit like when we played Ultronim last season, you think, oh, you know, I really wish we could have gone, gone all the way. And it was a little bit like that with this. But when I saw the draw, I sort of just thought, yeah, there's sort of a akin to a Taddy Albion sort of side. So we should be, even with a slightly weakened team, we should be beating them. And I had no problem with the likes of Michael Duckworth and other players getting minutes because they needed them. Um, now, I'd only just, I'd moved house the day before and we didn't have any internet. And and where I've moved to is just almost like a dead zone. So I'd, I didn't have an idea of what the score was because so I was, I was sort of unpacking and that, that was what I'd do. And I thought, right, I'm going to go out in the car and just listen to Radio York and see see, see if I can catch what, what's been happening sort of thing. And I couldn't believe that we were 3-0 down at half-time. I just couldn't get my head around it. So I had no idea what, what had sort of gone on before. But even when, like, John Lewis scored, I think I could tell it was bad because Dave Ward and Ian, Ian well, particularly Ian Dunn, who's one of the most optimistic people I think I've ever met about York City, even he couldn't sort of bring any passion to it and was just, just sort of like, well, well, it's good that we've scored, but, but it kind of means nothing. I thought, God, this must have been horrendous. And um, and speaking to Ben on the way to Rochdale on Saturday, he told me just how bad it was at Nantwich. So it's 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 a poor result, but it kind of tells you all you need to know about some of the players, doesn't it? And and that's kind of good in a sense, isn't it? That if, if you can't rely on these players in an FA Trophy game, you can't rely on them in a league game. And the sooner we find that out, the better, really. And that, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Um, and just before I go to Ben, so where where would you kind of rank it when you think, is it, on the one hand, you could say, oh, that's, there's such a lonely team, that much, that's one of our worst ever results. But on the other hand, you could say, well, yeah, but it, it is just the FA Trophy. Where do you kind of rank it on, on that scale? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, really. I, I, it's one of those times that you wish that, the great Dave Batters was still with us because I'd be really interested on his take on on something like that result. Because um, I think York City lost to Carmarthen Town, didn't they, in the in the eighties? 
which is probably one of the lowest. But depends what you think. I mean, for me, it doesn't rank as one of my kind of worst ever. But that's because I can't get the Geisley and Gates had six ones out me. They, they they were kind of just the lowest of the lows for me. Gloucester away four 0 Those ones I think hurt me more than the FA Trophy. Uh, I'm interested what what Ben thinks. Yeah, I kind of um, sort of agree with you, Dan. I think the fact that uh, yes, they were really low, like three leagues below, but that Geisley six one, the Gateshead six one, Curzon Ashton four one, they stick in my mind because at Nantwich we played a slightly weakened side. You know, a lot of our those players we often see on like the reserve kind of area rather than actual first team starters, um, and. I also think the fact that we scored two late goals to make it 3-2 rather than 3-0 makes it a little bit better. If it had been 3-0, probably would have been up there. But I think the fact that we just kind of uh, almost staged a comeback um, makes it me think that, yeah, we kind of got there for uh, not like on that worst result radar, especially with it being the FA Trophy where we're not too fussed about it anyway. I mean, like I was telling you in the car on Saturday... Um, we're going into that game expecting to lose us fans that were kind of going there. We're expecting really anything would have been good uh, in terms of like a draw on penalties, you know, a win. But we sort of had this feeling that, especially when the team came out, that we were almost playing for a defeat, almost get knocked out early to, uh, you know, get free up a bit of time, you know, not have other games postponed. However, it's the manner in which you lose games and the manner in which we lost that was disgusting from some of the players to be brutally honest their effort was not just below par it wasn't even didn't even come out of the changing rooms there was far too many players who were not tracking then not following the ball um not tracking back not defending not running with the man not attempting to even try and clear a ball out too many show ponies trying to uh, play their way through. And we got what we deserved. Nantwich came out with a plan and absolutely battered us. And we were lucky to score those two goals towards the end, I think. Um, And you know what? It was a really embarrassing performance. I went away angry. And it's like, I wouldn't have cared if we got knocked out 1-0. But the manner in which we did it was really, really frustrating. Yeah. What? It gets me, like, if I was Ardley, I would think I'm going to rest, I mean, I probably would have rested more players if he could from the first team for the FA Trophy. But then those players, this is what gets me, Ben, right? Those players that came in, they, they, lots of players who were kind of playing for their professional careers because they've had so many chances and you think that they would be if anything, up in their games. So, uh, yeah, that's what gets me. I just, I just think, you know, in in some ways, you might have expected more of a performance from them than the first team because they should have been playing for absolutely everything. It should have meant more to them because they know that they might not get another game. The, the thing is, as well, like. Without without being too harsh, it, it the only way these players are going is down. But if they're not cutting the mustard for York City in a in an FA Trophy game away at Nantwich Town, then they, their career in football is only heading one way. 
So, you know, I just think that Neil Hardley knows who these players are. He knows he knows who who he wants to get rid of. He knows who he wants to bring in. I think the problem might be, I'm sure someone like, you know, like Quevin Castro has been mentioned a number of times for his performance in that match. And I wasn't there, so I can't really comment. I just saw his free kick on the on the highlights, how it made it onto a highlights package. I don't know. But but I think he's, Ben might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's got a two-year deal, hasn't he? And it's going to be maybe try how we get rid of these players. And if some of them are not wanting to go out on loan and not wanting to, to move on, that, that might be a problem, you know, but that's the problem when you've got a big squad, it's trying to keep everyone happy and not having these bad eggs around the dressing room and people who can bring everyone else down. Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, that, that moves us on to the next topic, really, of players. I guess the one thing that, that well, the, the best thing about going out the FA Trophy is there's always, isn't there, there's always at least one team in the latter half of the season who's got a bit of a mess because they've got too many league games in hand because they've done, they've done, had a run in the trophy and maybe the cup. And then they're trying to catch up and they're having to play sometimes three times a week. So at least we know that that's not going to be us if we're out of the trophy and out of the cup um, and have a stadium that means games are rarely postponed, which is quite nice. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's probably good to kind of link that into players and I'll come on to like best players in a minute but Ben if we like continue on that topic um, what players do you think should or we could see leaving in January obviously if <laughs> if they're able to if we can get rid of them um, what players do you think need to be leaving um, I think Kevin Joshua is one like he's not making any kind of impact. You know, he can't even get a game against Nantwich, so might as well see him off. Uh, I think Kevin Castro for me, not put in any kind of performance at all at all this season. He's not been the sort of playmaker we we're hoping he was going to be. Um, I would also potentially loan out Siziba because uh, I think he just needs a run of games at least. Um, whether he'll ever make it at York City, who knows? But I think after Nantwich, he definitely just needs a run of games to just get a bit of confidence under his belt at least and play regular minutes. Um, and then you're looking at the likes of Duckworth, who injury prone regularly, um, can't really get into the side. And I don't want to use the term a bit of a luxury to have him. And I understand why we signed him on for another year, but. I think his time's up now. A bit like a few of the other players, I think it's time he needs to move on. Um, I think those are the main ones off the top of my head. Um, otherwise, I think the rest we're going to see stick around till the end of the season at least. Um, because otherwise, you know, we won't really have too much of a squad left uh, by that point. Um, so, yeah, I think off the top of my head, uh, I mean, Dan might pluck out some more in a second that I've forgotten but those are the ones that I think we need to maybe move on in some shape or form Any more to pluck out Dan or do you agree? Very similar really, I think I think Ben's covered most of us um, I think I just want to see more from certain players, you know like people like Kennedy who I just think, I'm not quite sure I'm seeing what, what 
it was that Bayern Munich was supposed to be linked with him. You know, I've not, I very rarely see him beat a man. I think his end product isn't particularly great. Um, I'm sure there is a player in there somewhere. You know, I think he, he he's someone that they, they were tracking for a while, but I'm not seeing it. Um, I want to see more from the defence as well. I, mean, I think Saturday, at least, we were quite resolute, I think, at Rochdale. That's one thing you can say about him. And I think I think the keeper, you know, a bit of a shout-out for him. I think I think he's come in and done a done a decent job. He's settled in. And also, he's, he's been in and out because he's been cup-tied and stuff like that, which isn't easy to come in and in one game and out the next, you know, to, to kind of with his rhythm. But I think he had a really good game at Rochdale. But yeah, the defence on the whole, I think Tyler Corden has got fitter, he's got got better. His range of passing is unbelievable. But I think Neil Adley said this on Saturday as well. He, and one of the reasons he was dropped was that he wants to see him be better at defending. And and I think that's probably a fair fair point. You know, he's, he's made mistakes this season. I think Callum Howe looks like he's getting better now. But again, we've paid decent money for Callum Howe. And we've probably not seen the best of him yet. So, but, but you know, and I think there's more more to come. You know, when I thought we'd signed Cordner, how we had Stockdale in goal, I was sort of imagining us having clean sheet after clean sheet all season, but we haven't. So I, I kind of hoping that that we become a bit more of a tighter unit going forward, and then if we can bring in players of quality at the other end, then you know, like I say, we might have a decent formula for success. Based on that, anyone you'd add to the list, Ben Kennedy? Yeah, I, I agree with Dan. Haven't seen anything from Kennedy so far this season to warrant another appearance. Never mind any kind of contract extension or um, he's just he's got the ability. Clearly, he can run around quite a bit. You can see why he was at Rangers, but then there's just no end product on him. Uh, there's nothing that shows he can fully get past a man. There's nothing that makes you think, ah, oh, if we bring him on, we might be able to nick a goal. Um, so yeah, Kennedy would definitely be one that I'd also think beyond this season. I wouldn't expect to see him at York City Football Club. Yeah, and he's had a fair amount of opportunities. Um, did we did we mention? Sorry, Paul. Did we mention Callum Harrier? So no, we've interestingly skirted around around him because I think he he's been a real frustration as well. I know I know it's injuries and part of parcel of football, but I just don't think we can afford to have. Players that don't play right, and, and like I say, I know, I know, I'm sure it's not his fault that he keeps breaking down and stuff like that. But and Saturday there was glimpses, weren't they? He had that shot from distance that that could have, you know, looked like it was going in the top corner at one point. But we've just not seen enough for him. And I, and I think with his pedigree, he played in League One a couple of years ago. You know, I'm sure we'll be paying him a decent amount of money to be at York City, and he's just not playing enough games. I, I just don't know whether. We can afford to to kind of have this many players that that, that are injured regularly. Yeah, it makes me think just how many players we did sign pre season who were, I suppose, had had that risk element. Yeah, because um, Harry hadn't really played much for a couple of seasons, and there was quite a few unproven. I'm just looking at some of the um, player stats. I think Tyler Corden has our most appearances this season, twenty six. Um, Depot. Akinyemi top scorer with eight. Burgess with an amazing eight assists. Um, if you'd said that before the season, um, would have been quite surprising um, that he's leading the way on that stat. Um, Dan, who would you take as best player 
or players this season so far? I, I think you can't look much further than Dipper, to be fair. I think he's he's been absolutely top draw. I know of, of late he's struggled with injuries, but I think he is the best striker I think I've seen us have probably probably since Clayton Donaldson first spell. Like in terms of me getting excited by a player, I think he gets you off your seat when he's in full flow. I think when he's clean through one on one. Again, I've not seen a player, you know, maybe since Paul Barnes, who, who I'm that confident will score when he goes through. Um, yeah, I think he he's been really good. I think Will Davis looks like he's he's a good signing. I've liked the look of him. Um, I mentioned the keeper before. I think um, Alex Woodyard was I thought was was fantastic against Wigan, and I thought he was really good at Rochdale as well on Saturday. So I, I think there's a lot more to come from him as well. I think we're just starting to see. Um, what he's about, really. So that would be my pick. Who are you impressed with, Ben? Yeah, everyone Dan mentioned, really, I think. Um, really, for example, from back to front, Sykes Kenworthy has been a fantastic addition from Ardley. It's nice to know that he's gone and actually scouted him um, to bring him in and wanted him. I think Fallowfield's been superb at right back. Had a bit of an off game on Saturday at Rochdale, I thought, but otherwise he's been fairly, probably our most consistent player. Um, I'd also... I think Cordner's beginning to come into his own a bit, but I agree with Arlene that he needs to sort of maybe cut out the defensive errors and shore up in defence if he's going to be a centre-back. Um, moving forward, you know, I agree with Dan last couple of games, Woodyard's looked the part when, you know, if you asked anyone before the Wigan game what they thought of Woodyard, probably would have said, well, what's he brought to the team this season? So hopefully he can continue on with that good form into the league a bit further. And then, yeah, Dippo Akinyemi, what a signing he's been. I just really hope that um, as the Scottish presenter on BBC Radio York said on Saturday after the game, that he can blow hot and cold in the season. I hope we aren't going to see him go cold um, from his viewings of BBC Alba. Um, so I really hope that we get a full season of Dippo being Dippo and not half a season and you know then he goes off the boil a bit. Yeah, it's like... Whatever that saying is, form is temporary, class is permanent. Yeah, you don't, you know, you don't lose. Hopefully, you don't lose that that knack. But yeah, I'm just looking forward to him coming back and seeing that magic. And that, like, just the first game where we have Depot back on the team sheet is just going to create a massive buzz. Um, yeah, and I, I keep wondering. I, I wonder if Ardley will. Because he's always saying, oh, Dippo, he's, he's only like 70%, 80% fit. And I wonder if when he does come back, Ardley won't, he won't give away that he's going to be in that starting lineup, right? Um, and it'll be a nice surprise for us. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to kind of move to predictions for the second half of the season. We all went very high. Uh, for, for the ones before the season too high um, as it turns out um, but yeah predictions not just for the place but for where we kind of how we think the second half of the season that will unfold I'll start with you Ben um, I'd just like to see us finish on a high um, I think Ardley's right we're not too good to go down and we need to make sure that safety is the priority now uh, we've got 23 games to show that um, we can increase our points total. You know, if you think about the first seven games under Morton, 
uh, eight if you include the absolute game. I think um, you know we, we didn't win, um, so you'd like to think we've got an extra eight games under Ardley there compared to what he's had so far, and hopefully a few more signings can make us tick a little bit better. But I think hopefully we can finish somewhere between fourteenth to seventeenth, as long as we're not going into like a final game or two potentially looking over our shoulder um, and we're sort of clear. I think I'd be happy with that. If we're somewhere 14th to 17th and safe or all but safe with like four or five games to go would be quite nice um, knowing that barring a absolute catastrophe where we just totally collapse um, that we're pretty much safe with five games to go would be a, a good end to the season I think. And I think as long as it finishes positively and a bit like that Gary Mills 2010-2011 season where you just felt, right, he can get his signings in now and really kick on the season after. I think that's all we can ask for. I don't think we can really have too much higher expectations. I think anything else would be quite disrespectful to the league we've been in in the season we've had so far. Yeah, just four teams below us, but above us, there's teams are quite close. You know, if we did manage to win a few games to jump up the table. Dan, what's your take on the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll be anywhere near the relegation zone at the end of it. Um, I'd be really surprised if we were. I just, I just think are these too shrewd to let that happen? I think, I think there was potential for it if we'd have not made the right appointment with such a big squad, loads of players unhappy, not putting the effort in, like Ben says at Nantwich. There is a that's that was kind of what Gary Mills was battling against. I think in his second spell, just there was such a big squad, and it's so hard when you've got cliques and stuff like that. Um, but I think Neil Hardy knows exactly what he's doing. He knows who he wants to get rid of. He, he's called them players out after Nantwich. I, I think he he's completely in control of his football club, and I think I do expect us to add a couple of extra additions in January. And I think each person he's had in so far has has been pretty good. Hardly, I think I think they've been quite shrewd signings, like Sir Will Davis. Um, so, yeah, I expect us to be near mid-table. I think, like Ben says, yeah, I don't think you can expect much more than that. To be honest, I just I just hope that we get some of these key players back, like Dipper. Dan Batty was looking real good. I know, obviously, his his son's not very well. We wish him all the best. That obviously comes first ahead of football, but. You know, all being well, he'll be back back playing for the second half of the season at some point. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and if these players like How Cordner, Woodyard can all keep improving, they've all got really good pedigree, haven't they? And we should we should be kind of getting a lot higher up that table. You know, we shouldn't be down there with the the likes of these teams that have come up from the, the leagues below that have got really small budgets. We should be operating at a much higher level in the table than they are. Slightly smaller, the crux of it um, this time around. Um, usually we've got Debo and Jim, um, who can't be with us, but uh, Jim has asked um, about um, reading the um, open letter to the. I think this letter is really good, by the way. The open letter to the National League and TNT Sports. So I'll just do that um, quickly. Basically, um, the story behind this, if you don't know, is that. Um, to accommodate TNT Sports broadcasting, the fixture on the 6th of January moved to the 7th of January, which is Boreham Wood versus York, um, which means that fans who've already booked their accommodation or travel 
on a Saturday, you're going to have to travel on a Sunday. But not only that, the Sunday is full of um, engineering works and replacement buses instead of trains, I believe. It's very difficult for people. So it's a nightmare. If you've already booked, it's a nightmare. Um, so I'll just read that letter very quickly. Um, or, or I'll read the um, supporters to a statement. The York City Supporters Trust, representing the passionate supporters of York City, bring it on, has issued an open letter expressing concern over the recent decision by the National League to move the Boreham Wood versus York City match from the 6th to the 7th of January to accommodate TNT Sports Broadcasting. In the letter addressed to the CEO of the National League and TNT Sports, the Trust highlights the strain imposed on fans who have already booked travel and accommodation for the original fixture date. The abrupt change three weeks ahead during the festive season has led to unforeseen pressures for supporters facing the challenges of the festive period. The Trust emphasises the vital role fans play in football, urging for understanding and cooperation to address this issue. In their appeal, they request support in the form of free transport and reimbursement for affected fans. York City Supporters Trust remains committed to finding a fair and equitable solution that considers both the interests of the supporters and the necessities of the sport. It will be interesting to see um, how that pans out. Do you think that's a fair letter, Dan, and the cat? Sorry, the cat's with you. Sorry, yeah, it's my girlfriend's cat. Um, Yeah, no, I think it's good, and I think they responded pretty timely to it as well. I mean, it's, it's a disgrace, really. I mean... I'm surprised it's on TNT, to be honest. I was quite surprised that that was a fixture that was picked for TV. But um, but there we go. But yeah, no, it's just wrong, isn't it? I mean, it, it just affects so many people financially. And and it's just, just uh, they're just not considered, are they? It's just a, a matter of just, oh, well, this is a game and people have to get on with it. And, uh, you know, Ben goes to far more away games than me. Um, and I'm sure, I don't think, I think that's one that you're not going to in it, Ben, but... <clears throat> but normally you would be you would be massively affected and massively out of pocket by that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'm considering not going now just because it's on TV. Really, Dan, for you know, being lazy more than anything. Um, but I do think that you know I was looking at going, and no, no one's bothered about it being on BT as such. It's more the fact that it's um, come three weeks away. That's people's gripe, I think, more than anything, is that people being inconvenienced three weeks away with the Christmas period in the middle. Um, and I appreciate it's FA Cup weekend. I didn't know who was going to be in it necessarily. But if this was announced six weeks ago, no one would really have too much of an issue, I don't think. No one really would have booked travel too much. Whereas now, most people have booked up for it if they have been going. So... To do it at three weeks' notice is a bit shoddy, really. And I think um, I think football as a whole needs to start putting things in place to protect fans if football uh, TV companies are going to be moving the games within a certain time frame. You know, you're told that you need to book trains to get the best prices online 12 weeks in advance. How are you meant to do that when games are getting changed in three weeks' notice? I just think as well that TV companies at all levels of football are just... Are just poor out of it. It just it doesn't matter whether Sunderland would be playing Plymouth. They could stick it on at twelve o'clock on a Saturday at short notice, even though those people would have to travel at whatever stupid o'clock in the morning to get there. I just think people are not bothered, and and it, and it's morally wrong. Yeah, it's it's fact that it's 
it's out of what they would ordinarily do, right, as well, because they'd already named, ages ago, they named all the January fixtures to be on TNT Sports and any of that had changed. So then if people are booking, they would have a right to think, well, there's nothing that can change this, you know. And I think it's FA Cup weekend, but you've waited until, you know, York and Bournemouth are out of the FA Cup, so you know that the fixture has to be on a Saturday, and it has, like I say, three weeks beforehand. They And they'd never normally change that. So hopefully the letter will do some good and stop that kind of practice, hopefully. Um. Yeah, so we haven't got uh, Debo either. Um, Debo, um, it's a shame we haven't got him because we like we like his rants and we like his um, character he brings to the podcast. Um, but I do know um, if he'd come on that apparently he wasn't very happy with buses. In fact, he was very, very unhappy with buses and that's probably putting it mildly and without the swearing. Um yeah, the um, I know the first York buses have not put anything. They've not put any buses on on New Year's Day to get people to or from the stadium. Is that is that right? Um, and isn't that the problem of first York rather than the football club? Yeah, so the club announced that the um, first York would not be running any buses on New Year's Day to the game against Gateshead. Um, obviously, not the football club fault. Um, they were only informing supporters. However, um, it comes down to the council and the first York as a whole for not running it. Mainly the council, really, I'm annoyed at because we were told when the stadium was built that you won't need to drive to this stadium. It's going to be a public transport stadium where you'll be able to easily get by public transports this ground. You don't need all these car parking spots because the uh, clubs will be able to, um, you know, you'll be able to get to the ground on a bus. But we've seen time and time again that buses aren't running after night games. We've seen time and time again that buses aren't there waiting to take, you know, 2,000 people potentially on buses back to the city centre. You can see these huge long queues if you're not out on full time or just before going round and the fact that you can't get there on New Year's Day and the council haven't put in, you know, they're almost going to hiding in terms of their transport plan for this ground, where, uh, if I remember rightly, that there was potentially even free shuttle buses were meant to be the original idea. So I think the council really need to step up, really, and have a look at this community asset that they've got and, you know, encourage people to go up there. And what I'd like to see is if the club can't get buses on in some way or form, um, potentially liaise with Vanguard to allow free car parking at least, you know, across the afternoon so that those people who need to get there by car have the opportunity without having to pay £5 to uh, park at the, you know, the Vanguard or at the official car parking uh, at the ground. Yeah. Dan, do you have any opinion or I suppose maybe not? Um, I think Ben's covered that. Perfectly, really. Yeah, but it's just it's just poor, isn't it? Like it's a community stadium for God's sake. Like it's <laughs> they knew all this before it was built. That was the whole point of it. Um, it's just shocking. It's just it's just poor. And that Debo would have said exactly the same thing, just with a lot more expletives. I'm going to come on to yeah. I mean, just before I flick on, is there anything 
Anything, any other business AOB from either of you? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to do a shameless p- plug, Paul, for, for the podcast. That's all right. So just, um, I was just going to say, it's a live event, uh, Sunday the 28th of January. So that's Ian Dunn and, and Dave McGurk are going to be guests there. So it's like a York City quiz, uh, quite a few prizes. Um, usual stuff for people who've been to the quizzes before. It's free to, to come along. It's just on Ticket Source. So there's a link on the sort of Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, bio. But I'll put more links on after this. Uh, there is a new series coming. So I've recorded six interviews, I think, now. Uh, and hoping to do another four. And I desperately want to get them out before the end of January or the start of February. So that's going to hopefully do... I'm trying to do one player from each era going back from the 1970s. Um, but some people are harder to get hold of than others. So it's taken me a while. But I know people who listen to this often listen to the podcast as well. So uh, it is coming. It's just taken me a long time to kind of get it all together. And I only really like to release them when I think, think they're all right and ready. So if, you, if you're a local business or you're a supporter and you want to sponsor any of the episodes, uh, please do get in touch because next year is York Hospital Radio's 60th anniversary. So it's a big year for the, for the charity and the radio station and um, all donations and sponsorship and stuff like that make a huge difference to us. So, uh, yeah, do get in touch if you, if you can help. And us. the live quiz events at Haxby Sports Bar, isn't it, Dan? And it's at Haxby, yeah, that was a good good point, Ben. Yeah, tell, tell people where the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And yeah, that thing like players from all the different eras on your podcast is is what you do so well. Any any little clue as to anyone who might be on the new series? Two that I think have been been really good so far have been Terry Dolan. So I actually went and recorded it at his house in North Ferriby, so that was really interesting. Um and then Michael Rankin I just recorded literally yesterday morning, really early in the morning, because he had to um he was going to some game, I think. Um, so he was really interesting, told me some very interesting things about a certain board member who may or may have not said about face painting once upon a time, told me some good stories about him, that, but most of them were off air that I probably can't share, but I will see you guys later on. Thanks a lot, both of you. And a reminder, it is um, a voluntary podcast spin-off from the charity um, York Hospital Ball, York Hospital Radio. Um, and I should give out as well, if you do want to make a donation, the Just Giving page, um, which is www.justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. That's www.justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. Um, yeah, thank you to both of you um, for contributions and we will do this, hopefully, um, in another three months when who knows what fortunes lie ahead of us. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Ben. Take care.